Hello and welcome to Out With Susie Ruffle. This is Series 2, Episode 17. Hello, I hope that you're having a good day. I'm feeling very festive today. We put up our Christmas tree this week. I've started doing some Christmas shopping. And whilst Christmas for us this year is going to be quite different, normally we'd be traveling all over the country, seeing my family, seeing my partner's family, uh, doing a drive on Christmas day so we get to see everyone. This year we're not doing that. We think it's probably wiser for us to stay in London. We've got a couple of visitors coming up at different points, but it's gonna be a far more low key Christmas for us. But I think it'll be lovely and um, quite excited to feel even more festive to put on a Christmas film, watch It's a Wonderful Life, probably have a good cry, um, a glass of champagne, why not? And stop for a little while, even though we've sort of been stopped a bit this year. But there's something different, isn't there, about that lead up to Christmas and uh, the week between Christmas and New Year, if you're not working. I've been in scenarios where I've worked before during that week, certainly when I was a waitress, loads and loads, and waitressing on Boxing Day and things like that. But this year it's going to be pretty low key for me, which I'm rather excited for. Um, I hope that if you celebrate Christmas, you um, have got some nice plans. Uh, And if you don't celebrate Christmas, I hope that you have a restful week maybe. First off, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone that got in touch after Lucy Spraggan's episode last week. Um, It seemed that lots and lots of you enjoyed it. And I think that maybe she brought some new listeners to the podcast. So if you're one of the new listeners, hello. Um, I hope you're enjoying the series. It seems that we're collecting listeners all the time at the moment. Lots and lots of people have been getting in touch saying, I've only just found the podcast or I've been meaning to listen to the podcast for a while. Um, So hello to you. And obviously, hello to those of you that have been here since episode one, way back when, all that time ago with Dustin Lance Black. Right, let's get on with today's episode. Oh, first I want to say, so earlier in the series, I did say that I was going to try and get lots of people on that people had asked for, specifically an asexual person, to talk about their experience. Unfortunately, um, and it is my fault, I've not managed to be able to fit that in to my diary. Lots of stuff's happened in my personal life. It's all been a bit all over the shop and I haven't had time to um, to work and sort out my life and other things. Um, so I haven't managed to do it, but I do have someone booked in for the beginning of series three. So please forgive me. I did do my best, but unfortunately I couldn't make it work. Um, so I'm sorry for that, but we do have two more episodes. I have kept my promise with keeping up until Christmas. So I hope that um that you will forgive me right let's move on to the emails um from listeners it seems that lots of you get in touch and say that this is one of your favorite bits of the show um and it's one of the favorite bits of my show receiving all the emails as ever if you'd like to get in touch with me please do the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com uh let's start here good evening i finally managed to catch up with all the podcasts and wanted to write and say congratulations well done and a big thank you for producing such an enlightening informative and entertaining creation you're always so generous with your introductions of your guests i won't attempt to replicate it's often said that the simplest ideas are the best but i have no doubt the effort and energy required to plan produce and edit the content is far from simple but it's a credit to you for making it seem so effortless. Thank you very much. Um, producing and editing is done by my brilliant producer, Michael. So big thanks to him too. I must start with a confession and an apology. Having been made aware of the podcast from like-minded friends, I took a look at the episodes at a time when you were probably well into series two. This is when I made the mistake of selecting to listen to those episodes with guests I was familiar with. It's not to say they weren't great, obviously, but I found listening to those less well-known names to be so informative and engaging. Mossin and Laura were particular favourites of mine. 
Never one to do things in an obvious order. I'd encourage any of your listeners who may be made or are making the same error, don't. They'll be missing out if they skip them. It's funny. I'm a 41-year-old man listening to your guests. It's a great break from the repetitive negative news or otherwise dull drive to and from work, recounting their experiences, and I find myself reflecting on my own life, growing up and the parallels and shared emotions. The thoughts and feelings, which at the time were so insular and isolating, were in no way unique to me. I was born in Brighton and grew up in Hove, which on paper, I know for must, must feel like an ideal platform for tolerance, acceptance and freedom. And I'm sure it does, for some, provide that. However, it offered very little in the way of comfort for someone who knew they were different, but couldn't identify themselves with the outwardly visible gay community. The truth is, I knew deep down that I was gay, but I didn't want to accept it. Denial was the preferred option. I could quite easily kid myself and find the level of contentment in burying my head in both work from school and later employment that acted as a great distraction. I could then deflect the questions of if I had a girlfriend with, I'm far too busy with work, I have no time, etc, etc. Though I did even give that a go at one point, but that only confirmed to myself that I knew the truth deep down. It wasn't as if I hadn't had the opportunity to come out when questioned by my mum. I just couldn't bring myself to say it because I knew there'd be no going back if I said those words, I'm gay. I'd like to be able to thank my teacher at secondary school who encouraged a class discussion which included sexuality. I cannot remember what I mumbled when she asked my opinion on how many pupils at the school might not be straight. She went on to say that she knew some in sixth form that had disclosed that they weren't to her. If only I had the courage or confidence to speak to her after. Even just to find out why that particular question had been thrown my way. Little did I know the risk she was taking on even broaching the subject. This was 95, 96 after all. So thank you, Mrs. Cooper, for being a trailblazer and for at least starting the conversation that difference does exist, is normal and positive. Like many, the reality of finally coming out was far less traumatic than I had built up inside my head. It had got to a point where I knew I had to take the plunge and all the emotions that went with it, but that's all part of makes us who we are. I'm grateful and fortunate that my friends and family have been wholly supportive and positive. Each episode, your question gets me thinking about what advice I would give to my younger self. I find myself saying, I know a younger me would dismiss my own advice, saying, that doesn't apply to me. But for any of your listeners, you'll often find you have most answers within you. But you can't be really beneficial to reach out for support or advice if you can't see those answers for yourself, or just a little bit of encouragement or validation. You might need to square things with yourself and to be able to move on. Time really is a great healer and offers perspective, which you can't always get when you're in the mists of a situation. So hang on in there and remember that your agenda is the only one you need to follow. What I would have said to Mrs. Cooper? Yes, I'm gay. And I'll be living with my fiancé Declan and our Russian blue cat shadow in years to come. No way. But that's the reality of how things are, and I couldn't be happier. Thanks once again for providing a platform for these stories and making them accessible to all, and I dare say normalising something which is now so beneficial to many. Wishing you, Alice and Velma, of course, plus the wider community, a very Merry Christmas. Warm regards, Anton. Anton, thank you so much for getting in touch. I hope you and Declan and Shadow the Russian Blue has a very happy Christmas as well. Um, I, I loved your advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think you're absolutely right. Time is a great healer and it does offer perspective. And hang on in there. And you're right, your agenda is the only one that you need to follow. So thank you so, so much for sharing that and um, for sharing your story with us. And shout out to Mrs. Cooper, who I doubt is listening. But if you are, what an absolute bloody legend you are. Okay, let's have another one before we get into today's interview. Dear Susie, 
Throughout the last few weeks, I felt compelled to write to you. Thank you for such a wonderful series. You make me feel heard and seen in ways I'm still only beginning to understand. My girlfriend and I love listening to the stories on your series. We share moments of laughter and shared agreement in the experiences we hear. I'm 23 and I only recently came out fully. My initial coming out was 10 years ago in a Catholic school. It went terribly and I ended up forcing myself back into the closet for another decade. Filled with so much self-loathing that I eventually couldn't imagine myself as anything other than an asexual straight person having asexual straight relationships with no feelings attached. I used to watch your shows a few years ago and feel pangs of envy that you knew who you were and were confident in being a gay woman. Now I watch your shows with my girlfriend and feel absolutely giddy with contentment in myself. I have cystic fibrosis, which is a progressive genetic of disease which affects most organs, but mainly the lungs and the digestive system. I've been on the waiting list for a double lung transplant for the last two years and now use oxygen 24-7. Becoming unwell enough to warrant needing a transplant has changed my life entirely. When you're constantly fighting for your life, you suddenly realise what's important to you. I also think that when I was a teenager and trying to balance both my health and my emotional needs, I became even more confused as it felt there was very little advocacy for queer disabled identity. Whilst we've come a long way, more needs to be done. Just the other day, my girlfriend and I were trying to work out what were the most wheelchair-friendly pride events in the UK, only to find out that in some areas, a wheelchair user can't even have someone accompany them to pride as a carer unless they've paid for a VIP ticket. This is 2020 and this needs action. Absolutely it does. 2020 has been the worst, best year of my life. I lost my dad in February, just before lockdown hit. However, having to go straight from his funeral into shielding alone for several months was bizarrely the most helpful thing I could have done for myself. It allowed me to process my emotions and thoughts that I'd been repressing for years. I came out as gay to my family and friends over the summer and then met an incredible woman, my girlfriend named Kathy, who I now can't imagine life without. I'd spent so long denying myself the opportunity to be loved. I'd previously put up a barrier and told myself that no amount of love was worth the pain that a terminal illness may bring to someone. Kathy is incredible. She is the most understanding and supportive person I have ever met. She's been there for me 100% of the way with everything. In the beginning, I was afraid she would run for the hills once she realised how unwell I was. And every day I pinch myself. I can't believe my luck that I've met her, let alone that we're in a relationship. I wish I could go back and tell my 13-year-old self that everything will work out. I've recently been struggling with the knowledge that I was unable to come out to my dad. My mum isn't around, so he was the only family member that would have been truly important in my coming out. It's incredibly raw and painful knowing that I'll never get his approval, and I'll never know how he would have reacted to me having a girlfriend. I would like to think he would have been supportive and happy for me to be happy, but of course I'll never know for sure. I constantly feel like there's someone important I've forgotten to tell, or someone I need to pick up the phone and have the talk with. It lingers in the back of my mind. I know he was proud of me though, and he only wanted me to be happy and healthy, so I'm doing the best I can. Kathy and I are both massive fans of yours, and we've got tickets to Like-Minded Friends' Christmas special, and as soon as you're out to tour again and I'm no longer shielding, you can count on us to be at one of your gigs. Thanks again for making me feel included and giving me the confidence I've needed for a long time. Also, sorry for my rambling, Annie. First of all, Annie, there was no rambling there. You do not need to apologise. I absolutely adored your letter. Um, A couple of things. First off, when you say that you felt pangs of envy a few years ago when you saw me being an out-confident gay woman, I felt those exact same feelings when I was in the closet, when I was 20, when I was the same age as you were, when you were feeling those pangs of envy. Remember, I'm I'm 34, so I've been an out-gay woman in the world a little bit longer. Um... I've had the opportunity, rather, to be an out gay woman in the world a lot longer than you. And I came out when I was about 23 as well. So I think you're doing just fine. 
Um, you're definitely right there should be more wheelchair friendly prides or opportunities maybe if there's someone that's listening that works for a pride you could get in touch with me and I could pass on some information to Annie if you know anything about or other listeners um, that, that that could do with that extra help at pride or, or prides just being a bit more accessible please do get in touch with me and I can pass on information to people so let me know if you work in one of those environments um, the final thing that you said about your dad I think you answered your own question. You said, I know who was proud of me and only wanted me to be happy. I think that's all you need to think about, Annie, and I think that tells you everything you need to know. Um, I hope you and Kathy have a gorgeous Christmas if you're spending it together, or if you're not, maybe you're spending a day together where you can do a fake Christmas. I hope that you have some lovely time together over the festive period, and thank you so much for getting involved and for enjoying the podcast, and I loved receiving your letter. Um, also, Annie, I feel like you might particularly enjoy today's podcast uh, because I, I've got a, a, a gay person who also happens to be disabled. It's my very dear friend, Rosie Jones, who I absolutely love, which you will hear throughout this podcast. It was a joy to talk to her. Um, she's, I mean, she's just shooting for the stars at the moment. She's absolutely smashing it. I love her. She's so funny. She's so brilliant. She's so intelligent. And it was an absolute joy to have her on the podcast. Um, so I hope that you all enjoy this and um, Annie maybe this one is a little bit extra for you okay uh, as ever if you want to get in touch with me the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com and let's go to my conversation with Rosie Jones Rosie Jones is a force of nature. She's funny, cheeky and fearless. She's quickly risen through the ranks of the UK comedy scene, two sellout runs at the Edinburgh Festival, countless glowing reviews. She's also appeared on a lot of telly, Live at the Apollo, The Jonathan Ross Show, 8 Out of 10 Cats, The Last Leg, and even Question Time, to name a few. She's also a gifted writer. She wrote an episode of Sex Education and has a sitcom in development. She's also got bags of TV coming up in 2021, including a travel log. Chortle called her stand-up smart, mischievous, laugh-out-loud funny. The skinny said she is genuinely masterful. Rosie is an excellent stand-up comedian. She's whip-smart, she's thought-provoking, and she also happens to be a very dear friend. Welcome to the show, Rosie. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a bloody introduction. So I feel like before... Wish that I need to go. Yeah, I've done all of those things, but I'm also a massive dickhead. So yeah. <laughs> it balances out. <laughs> you are the most mischievous person I know, probably. Oh, yeah. Because I might only live once, I might as well have a bit of fun. Absolutely. Now, Rosie, we need to sort of start at the beginning, I think. So you grew up in Bridlington? Yeah. It's a little seaside town and I feel like it's really good. If you're under five or you're over 75, but everywhere in between, there's absolutely nothing there. So, some play parks and some care homes. Yeah, that's you got the park, you got the beach. You got a caravan 
and that's it. Um, right. So I loved it when I was a little, but probably by my teenagers, I already knew that I was a little bit different. Um. <laughs> In more ways than one. Uh, it wasn't a tiny town, but I would walk around and people would look at me and be like, oh, there's Rosie. There's the one disabled person in the town. Like, everyone knew me because I was different Mm -hmm. and I didn't realise how different I was until I moved away and went to uni and thought, oh, I like Bridlington, but I don't think I'm meant to be a fisherman, <laughs> so I better move away. So talk to me about sort of, so how old are you, Rosie? You're 30, aren't you? So were you born in 1990? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... You went to, I assume, like you went to a, a sort of a local school, like a local. Yeah. yeah. And is it is it kind of like I'm imagining it like a village? Is it like a little village school that um, you went to? No, it was a bigger town. So there was in my whole town there was two secondary schools. Okay. So it was like a medium-sized town, mm-hmm. but definitely everyone there knew each other and everyone was like in each other's business. And, um, yeah, it's interesting me born in 1990 in Yorkshire because I think my two diversities first of all my disability growing up in the 90s was actually perfect because it was when disabled children started going to mainstream school. So I was the first disabled person to go to my school. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Did your mum and dad, quick shout out to Andrea and Rob, did they have to sort of push to get you into a mainstream school? Well, so first of all, I went to a nursery that was for disabled children mm-hmm. because I think my mum and dad were like, right, she's disabled. 
Let's send her to a disabled school. But even age three, I have a vivid memory of thinking, I don't know why I'm here because there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. And luckily, the teachers at that disabled school recognised that and they were the ones that said to my mum and dad, no, no, we can't handle her. She's too cheeky, she's (laughs) she's too clever, she needs to be at a mainstream school. So my mum and dad too, really, no one told them how to bring up a disabled child. They were like, Okay, brilliant. So then I started primary school with able-bodied people. And luckily, because we were in a Labour government, oh, remember those days? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, God. Um, I got a lot of funding. Right. So I actually was able to have a teacher's aide with me all the time, which was incredible. So in terms of... Growing up in the 90s with a disability, it was amazing because I was given all the tools and the funding I, I needed to succeed. And also to have, I guess, having someone that was there that was a teacher's aide, they would have realised quite quickly that you're really bright. And so I'm assuming she only really needed to help you sort of maybe navigate the school? Yeah. So it's it's really nice, actually. My TA was called Judith. Mm-hmm. And she was only about 20 when I started. Um, and we were honestly... Best, best friends. I think in hindsight, Judith was actually my first crush. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. And luckily, we're still in touch now and we go for a drink every Christmas and last year I said to her right Judith as adults now 
be on its own, maybe, because in my brain, we were better friends. We were just normal friends. Were we? Or were you just humoring an eight-year-old girl? And she was like, Rosie, you, even at eight years old, had the exact personality that you have now. Yes, you were my best friend. And do you know how weird that is for a 30-year-old woman to be like, yeah, my best friend is eight years old. (laughs) That's really sweet. You've mentioned her to me before, and it sounds like you had... I mean, I don't know, I guess just having that, that support and having some, like, you know, a grown-up that wasn't a parental figure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I did have um, friends in my age, but I think I've always been quite sociable and mature. I can confirm that Rosie is the most social person I know. One year when we were in Edinburgh, we shared a flat and Rosie consistently came home at 4am. <laughs> I love that on week one I was out now I'm going to have a chilled Edinburgh cut to coming home at 4am every single night. I know, I'd hear the door go and be like, fine, she's in. Like I was your mum or something. Oh, she came in, thank God for that. Thank God she's alive. <laughs> so what was secondary school like? Because I know that you've got You've got you've got a group of mates that you're really close to now. Are they yeah. your mates from uni or are they secondary school? They're uni. Right, okay. So what was your friendship group like at secondary school? My secondary school. It's interesting because now when I look back on it, it's really sad. So before I say this, I want to say, like, everything made me who I am. And I think at the time, I wasn't as sad as I should have been. And that is because of my amazing mum and dad. But in secondary school, I had two friends and over the course of five years, they kind of chipped away at me in a way that, well, insecure teenage girls do so. First of all, it was you talk too loud. Then it was you laugh too loud. 
then it was stop laughing at your own jokes <laughs> and essentially all of these things are important factors that make me me but because you're an insecure 14 year old I was like, well, if they're saying that and they're my best friends, I should change. And it got to year 11, I was 16, and at school, I was at quiet, insecure, like, mouth of a person. You wouldn't recognise me. Yeah, I can't Um, imagine that. Yeah, it's so weird thinking back now. Mm -hmm. But that, that summer between year 11 and 64. I went on holiday with my mum and dad um, to Barbados. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) And I was aware of what these two girls had done to me and on the plane I said to my mum I don't know if I like who I am anymore and my mum was so great about it and she went right we're going on holiday for two weeks, nobody there will know you. How about you are a 100% yourself for two weeks? And if you, if you're right and people hate you, you don't need to see them again. So that felt like a good experiment. So I got to the hotel and I was the person you know, the person that is your friend. I was chatting to everyone, laughing, drinking too much, (laughs) even at 16. And by literally day two, like everyone at the hotel knew my name. I will never get to my sunbed because I've been chatting to everyone and in those two weeks I really rebuilt what had broken down at secondary school 
and um, I went back in September and six form was at the same school mm-hmm. and I just walked in loud, confident, talking to everyone and these two girls were still there and they didn't talk to me. We've been best friends for five years, but suddenly, because I was everyone's friend, they didn't like that, and they haven't spoken to me since. But for me, in hindsight, I needed that because Ever since that day, I am so unapologetic for being this loud, sociable, slightly annoying person. (laughs) I think it's such a testament to your brilliant mum and dad. Like, your mum and dad are so lovely. And but like your mum saying that to you, I mean, it's exactly what you needed. And then is that that? Yeah. And then obviously that's the person that you took to university. Was that scary moving away from home? Yeah. Again, I think about it all in hindsight. Mm-hmm. I think at the time I wasn't scared at all because as an 18-year-old, you just want to move away. So I was so excited, but my mum and dad definitely found it hard and I cannot even imagine what it was like for them but they must have been so worried about you yeah but like again they really hid it from me yeah and they were like right if that's what you want to do Okay, and really, I am the person I am today because of them. So let's get on to, you know, the main thrust of this podcast. Because I've heard you say before, and I obviously don't want to sort of put words in your mouth or uh, anything, but, you know, I've heard you say it on stage and, you know, we've had conversations about it. But because of your disability you sort of didn't have the room almost to think about your sexuality or express it in any way. Yeah, 100%. And I think thinking back to secondary school, um, it was a lot to deal with my disability and this loud personality so the fact that I was also gay felt too much like I remember well 
I said it before. I remember looking at a girl and thinking, I want to kiss you like boys kiss the girls. And I don't know why. And I was four years old. Like, and... I have thoughts like that probably constantly throughout primary, secondary, even university. But I felt like I never had time to deal with it because I was too worried about working out my way around the world as a disabled person and also I feel like a lot of that is representation Mm -hmm. of disabilities in the media that I never, ever, ever saw a gay person who was also disabled. So I just thought, well, if I can't see it, I can't be it. Mm -hmm. And so I suppose in that moment, did you sort of just think, well, I suppose I just not have relationships or I'll be someone that's single like did you think oh well because I can't see it then it's not for me yeah again I worry that on this podcast I'm just gonna tell a series of sad stories but honestly I'm not sad I'm very very happy but definitely growing up I thought, right, I'm disabled. That means I will never fall in love. It means I'll never get married. It means I'll never have children because I never saw that in the media. But I was never sad about that fact because I never put all my life into finding someone or getting married. Even now, as a 30-year-old woman, I'm single. But that doesn't matter because I love my job, I love my family and I love my friends. So I feel like love and sexuality has always been further down in my list 
the priorities. So, yeah, for a lot of my teenage years, and even in my early 20s, I literally thought, well, there's no point coming out because I will never have a relationship. So... No one needs to know that side of me. But I'm sure there's lots of disabled people that... I'm sure there's disabled people listening that are in happy relationships. What was it that made you realise, oh, no, a relationship is something that is entirely possible? Come on, Rosie, I think it's time to come out. Um, Again, she's going to tell another sad <laughs> I think when you tear up like that, that that does take out some of the sadness because I think if you're laughing as you're telling it, it does slightly take the bite out. It's so weird for me because I have had moments of sadness. But I never realised until I'm not sad. Like, I go, oh, last year I wasn't happy, but now I'm okay. But I think when you're in the sadness, I just take every day as it comes. Mm-hmm. So in my mid-20s, I think I was about 25. Yeah, I um, I was working in TV. Yeah, because that's one of the interesting things is that you sort of started working in telly before you became a stand-up. I met you when you were sort of a researcher, maybe. When you yeah. came to, I think you came to Josh's birthday somewhere. That's it's, it. Yeah, because yeah. I was working on the last leg. Yeah. And that must yeah. be, what, maybe six years ago? Seven years yeah. ago? Yeah, yeah. So I think after that, I hit a stage of, unemployment mm-hmm. and it was just so so shit and I will wake up every day and I go oh there's nothing to get up for and then I think once one thing isn't perfect you start analysing everything else in your life. Mm-hmm. And there was, I finally, for the first time probably ever, I wasn't distracted by school, uni mm. or a job. And it allowed me to really sit there 
Obviously, like, I know that you told your mum and dad and as you said, you know, you knew they were going to be okay with it. And then uh, was it around that time that you thought, right, that's it, I'm going to give stand-up a go? Was it? Did you have to, like, get hold of who you were before you got on stage or was it the other way around? Yeah, that's it. So I needed to work out who I was because running alongside that, friends kept saying to me, oh, my God, you need to do stand-up, and I will put it up and up and up 
because I think standing on stage, you expose your whole self. And I actually thought if I do stand up, people will know I'm gay. <laughs> right. Which is so weird. I don't know why I thought that. But definitely when I came to terms with my sexuality, then I felt confident in myself to get on stage. But even then, I didn't talk about my sexuality. No, because I remember coming to see your first show in Edinburgh. Not, you weren't doing an hour, you were doing like half an hour. And me and Jenny came and you were in like some sort of dungeon. <laughs> From memory, it was some sort of dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> with cobbled floor in Edinburgh um, but I don't I feel like I don't remember you talking about I, I don't think I was aware that you were gay then no so again I thought right now I'm out to my closest friends then I can go on stage but I didn't talk about being gay, but I did have a little Easter egg where in that show I talked about um, masturbating to uh, Made in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, clearly. And... Um, I almost did a throwaway line where I said something like, thank you, J-Lo. So anyone who thought I might be gay, that was a little clue for that. Right. But again, I thought at the time I wanted to keep my sexuality private because it felt like something for me. Um, mm -hmm. But after about a year in stand-up, I thought about my own childhood and I thought about how powerful it would have been to see a disabled person talk about being gay. And I thought, if I can be that person for one um, disabled teenager struggling with their sexuality, it's worth it. And actually, a bit like what happened in my private life, 
as soon as I talked about being gay on stage, it felt like I was breathing and I could be a hundred percent me. Yeah, I think it's really interesting as someone that knew you before you talked about being gay on stage, and obviously I still know you now, it it was, um, yeah, somehow like a release or something, just you were just freer. Yeah. But I think it's interesting the thing you say, like I'm sure there'll be countless teenagers, disabled or not, you know, that have had, that watch you on stage and feel like, oh yeah, she's talking about being gay. Brilliant. Me too. Or talking about being different. Brilliant. Me too. That's really nice to see someone like me. You know, obviously you're the one that understands this more than me, but from doing some reading about you, it's always interesting when you start researching one of your friends. But, <laughs> but um, oh God, she's very articulate here. She wasn't like that before I am. Uh, she wasn't like that at my hen do when I had to put her in a cab. Um, but <laughs> I think there's something as well about not just a disabled person being gay, but a disabled person have, having any kind of sort of sexual desires. That's it, that's it. And I feel like when I came out to my mum and dad, I said to them, are you surprised? And my mum said, well, no, but I hadn't thought either way. I hadn't imagined you with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And maybe that's good because it's my mum and I don't <laughs> really want her thinking of me having sexual <laughs> desires but I think her opinion can be said about a lot of people who see disabled people as victims or people they should care for or feel sorry for and you don't think about um, fucking or shagging or just going to sex parties. So that's what I really want to do. I really want to say, hello, I'm Rosie, I'm disabled and gay. I sound it from what actually and just like you, I'm an average 30 year old with sexual desires, problems in love, lust, and I feel like I want to break down that divide between disabled and able-bodied people because at the end of the day we all want an orgasm. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. And just before you said it I thought she's gonna say orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I think you're so right, and I I think that your visibility is a really special thing. I think it's really brilliant. And I mean, before we go, I need to talk to you as well about your incredible appearance quite recently on Question Time, which is a bold move for any comic. Um, oh, how good no. did it feel to talk about what a terrible job the Conservatives are doing in front of Matt Hancock? <laughs> so uh, we got the same agent. Um, I'm sorry, um, me and Rosie have the same agent rather than Rosie and Matt Hancock. Oh, no. I want to be really clear. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I think I was a little bit nervous mm-hmm. because it's so far out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. because it's not comedy at all. And I always say I don't speak for disabled people. I speak for me. And mm-hmm. if you find similarities in my life, great. But mm-hmm. I'm not grand enough to go his opinion of all disabled people. Also, you're a stand-up. Like, you're a stand-up. You're a comic. You do telly. You do funny stuff. Like, you're not a spokesperson. So, yeah, I researched it, and I knew that for the first time in my career that I really had a platform to speak on behalf of disabled people who, in my opinion, are pretty much being ignored right now. So, yeah, it was scary, but I think I said everything that I wanted to say, especially to Matt Hancock, and now I'm just waiting and watching and seeing if I do anything to make it a better country for people with disabilities. It was just brilliant. If anyone wants to have a look, I mean, it'll be on Rosie's Twitter. I also retweeted it. There was a a moment when sort of Rosie really let him know what she thought and it was fucking brilliant. (laughs) It was fucking great. Um, You must have been texted by literally hundreds of friends the next day I just texted you being like I'm gonna come into your inbox with I assume all of our friends that was amazing mate it was a really really great and powerful day but as I say I don't think I said anything that hadn't been said before but Mm -hmm. Luckily, I just got given this platform 
in front of Matt Hancock where I could say, mate, what are you doing? It's brilliant. Right, it's the final question of the show and it's the one that I ask everyone. Um, Let's say that version of Rosie that was on a plane to Barbados. Now you can either think of it as you or you can think of it as someone that's maybe listening right now. Maybe they're similar to you in lots of ways or maybe they feel similar to how you felt when you were on your way to Barbados with your mum and she, your brilliant mum, told you just to be yourself. If you could give her a bit of encouragement or a bit of advice about what's to come, what would you say? Um, Start worrying so much about what other people think of you. Just make sure that you like yourself and maybe not immediately, but you will find your people. You will find the people who like you for the right reasons. So, yeah, stop comparing yourself to everyone else and be proud to be you. I mean, the perfect place to end the episode. Rosie, that was brilliant. Thank you, babe. Thank you. I bloody love you. I bloody love you. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you want to get in touch, please do. And if not, I will see you next week for the final episode of the series. And we have a very special guest who I loved chatting to, who I'm sure you're all going to enjoy. You have a great week and I'll speak to you then. Bye bye. (music) 